Mark chapter 15, verses 25 through 34. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right hand, one on his left. It fulfilled what was written that he was counted among those who were rebels. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. We talked about the fact that we're meeting right now on a Saturday between the cross and the empty grave. Just for a second, put yourself in the place of Jesus' followers who were there at that moment. Who were there at that moment. Who witnessed this all. And they looked and they saw their Savior die. They saw some of His last words crying out. Saying, God, why have you forsaken me? And they look and He's dead. He's dead. Deep in their heart of hearts, they're like, He's going to come through. Angels are going to swoop down. He's going to, he's going to come from that cross, triumphant and victorious. But that's not what happened. He died. Put yourself in this place between the cross and the, gra- and the grave. The death and the resurrection. Your heart would be broken. Our faith, our hope, totally poured out and gone. This isn't anything at all like what was supposed to happen to the king of the Jews. He was supposed to set everything right. He was supposed to mend everything that was broken. He was supposed to restore what was lost. And now it seems like everything's lost. Everything is broken. Nothing's right. Have you ever felt that way? 
Hope is gone. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. All is lost. Of course you have. We all have. We've all we've all been there. We've all felt that way. You know what? There might be some of you that are, that are at that place right now. Tonight's message is titled Broken and Poured Out. Broken and Poured Out. Let's take a step back from the previous chapter that we read in Mark chapter 15 and let's read from Mark chapter 14 and then a little bit later. There's some good stuff in Mark chapter 16 as well, so we'll jump ahead there. But Mark 14, 3 through 9 says this. <clears throat> While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, this is Jesus. While Jesus was in Bethany, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is tonight's first example of being broken and poured out. Broken and poured out. Now, before we continue... I want to get a little light shined. Nard. Anyone know what nard is? Well, first off, it's not lard, which would have been incredibly gross and just grossly inappropriate to pour over Jesus. So it wasn't lard. And so I had to look up what nard was because I'm not going to give him preach on nard. You go, oh, that was awesome, Mark. What's nard? And I'm like, it's kind of like lard, um, but it smells better. Maybe kind of bacon. I don't know. You know. So it's not like lard at all. So lard, there's a word, spikenard. And spikenard, the official um, scientific name <laughs> of it, is uh, nardo. Okay, every time I read this in my studying, I did it in a southern accent. I don't know why, so I'm going to go ahead and... It's, it's nardostachys grandiflora, also called nard or nardine or... Muskroot. I tried it with an Italian accent too, you know, and I just couldn't do it in a normal English accent. It didn't sound right. So it's a flowering plant of the Valerian family that grows in the Himalayas of China and the northern region of India and Nepal. The plant has pink bell-shaped flowers, and the stems of spikenard can be crushed and distilled into an immensely aromatic amber-colored oil, which is very thick in consistency. Nard oil is used as perfume, as incense a sedative, and an herbal medicine. So there we go. Now we know what nard is. Many Bible scholars believe that the woman that I mentioned is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. 
And they believe that because uh, in John chapter 12, there's a story that mentions Mary by name. Here in Mark, it doesn't mention her by name. Um, but the story in John 12 is so similar. Uh, and you look at the place where they were located, the house that they were in. Um, most believe that it's Mary, and that's what I believe as well. Nard was used as a burial element to perfume the body of a loved one who had died. That was one of its most common uses. And it was very expensive. We see that people were grumbling, the disciples in Judas specifically in another book says that he was indignant. This money could have been used for the poor. A year's wages. So we're talking about expensive, extravagant stuff. Jesus said, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. But it was strange for Jesus to say this because you don't prepare somebody for burial. You don't do this before they die, right? Someone dies and then they're buried. And then the body would come to a place where the odor would come forth. And so that's what the purpose of this oil was. There's Jesus saying, she's doing it as prepare, preparation for, for my burial. Those in the room did not know that a day later that Jesus would be dead. You know, he had talked about his death. He had tried to prepare them and let them know that it was coming, but they, they just, they weren't getting it. They didn't expect that. They had no way of knowing. Mary had no way of knowing when she poured out this oil upon Jesus that this was in preparation for his burial. So I've got a question. Why did Mary have a bottle of nard oil just lying around? If someone hadn't died, if Jesus, if they didn't know that he was going to die, why did they just have this incredibly expensive bottle of, of nard oil lying around? Perhaps because she had it set aside for her brother's burial. Her brother was Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And she didn't get to use it at Lazarus's burial because he was alive. Because Jesus had raised him from his dead. And there she is, witness to this. Jesus comes and raises her brother from the dead. So that would make sense that she would have a bottle of this lying around, right? Well, check this out. Because of Jesus' resurrection, she wouldn't be able to use it for his burial either. Amen? I love that. This is awesome stuff. That is cool. How often do we hold back from doing something for the Lord because we're waiting for a better time? Because we're waiting for a more appropriate time to use this. I've only got one use at this. I better, I better really save it. I've only got so much time in the day. I better preserve my time and really use it when it really matters. Mm-hmm. 
if this is what this woman, if this is what Mary would have done, this incredible blessing that Jesus said will be told about and remembered forever would have never taken place. We should note that because it was an alabaster box, it says that she broke open the alabaster box, right? Because it was made out of alabaster, it was not easily broken. But it also was not necessary that the box be broken to get to the oil. Totally unnecessary. She could have poured every bit of that oil, shook it out, did the ketchup bottle thing on the bottom. It wasn't necessary for her to to break open this box. So why did she? Why did she? Because she wanted to pour out every drop, every ounce of expression of her love for Jesus that she could, holding on to nothing for her own, leaving nothing for her to hold on to. You see, she broke her jar and poured out all of her perfume. She lavishly wasted everything that was of value to her. Breaking the jar effectively prevented it from ever being used for any other purpose. This jar that held the oil that she lavishly poured upon him was never going to see another purpose. She made sure of it. Imagine Mary right now just pounding this thing on the ground until it broke into pieces and then just scooping every last bit and anointing Jesus with it. Friends, that is lavish affection and love for Jesus that we are to mimic and that we are to emulate and that we are to admire and remember. A hundred percent gotten out and given to Jesus. Not a little puddle in a crack of it somewhere. All of it. Now think about it in these terms. She gave everything she had to him. She gave everything she had to Jesus. Past, it's yours. It's yours. I don't care about how much this is worth. Lord, it's yours. Future. I have you in the future, so what do I have need of this for? Everything she had, past, present, and future, she gave to him. Jesus said that this remarkable love would be remembered. And here we are, talking about it today. Nothing is too good for our Savior. Nothing is to be held back from Jesus. Didn't He pour His soul into death for us? And should we consider the contents of these vessels, these jars of clay 
if you will, that we call our bodies? Should we consider these two, these contents too valuable to completely pour out for Him? Christ must be honored with all we have. And we must not consider holding back any part of that price. Do we give him the precious ointment of our affection? Do we let him have them all? Do we love him with all of our heart? Broken and poured out. Mark 14, same chapter, just a few verses later. 22 through 24. Jesus had gathered the disciples all together for the Last Supper. And this is where we're at. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. These are Jesus' words at the Last Supper. He uses bread and wine to make the most significant symbolic example ever. He broke his body and poured out his blood. He broke his body and he poured out his blood for us. When we read Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, It it ain't crackers and grape juice. It is his body and his blood. This symbolic act that we do is not just a symbolic act that we do. Last night our teens and our preteens got together and there were ten of them and seven adults and we watched the Passion of the Christ together. And we invited parents to come and <clears throat> be with their kids if they felt it was appropriate that they came. And, and then we watched it and we wept and we cried and we went through boxes of tissues and it was powerful. And afterwards, we sat and we talked and we answered questions and we talked about Jesus and then we prayed together. It was It was amazing. It was powerful. And we had the kids take note of different questions and at the end we said we'd answer them. So one of the questions was this. Why did Jesus stand back up? Why did Jesus stand back up? It was in reference to a scene where he was being scourged. Where they led him out and they chained him to this, looked like a stump. And they beat him. And they beat him. And they beat him. And they beat him. And they whipped him. And at what point it drove him to his knees. Do you know that scourging, the majority of prisoners who were punished in this way by the Roman government, did not make it past scourging. There was no execution after that. This was their execution. They... They didn't make it past this preliminary round. 
And so in this movie, Jesus, after enduring all this beating, he fell to his knees in sheer exhaustion and pain. Then he looked out and he saw the people. He faced the crowd, the onlookers, and he stood up. And they were done. They were putting their things away. And and the kids in the room, I mean, you could you you felt you felt the no no, what are you doing? And so when they saw him get back up, they they upped the ante, and they grabbed the cat of nine tails, and they came back and they beat him to within an inch of his life. And so the kids, one of the kids said, "Why did he get up? Why did he get back up?" What an amazing question. What's our answer? Because Jesus wanted to pour out every bit of his life and his love, leaving nothing to hold on to, leaving nothing to call his own. And he did it for you and I, for our sake, leaving no sin, no sickness, no shame, no infirmity, no attack of the enemy to chance, but taking it all upon him. What did Jesus say about the woman? Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. How much more so should it be told and remembered what Jesus did for you and for I? And when we take communion, the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And see, Jesus said that while he was still alive. But he knew what laid ahead of him. He knew what he would bear. And he said, remember it. When you see this bread broken, remember that my body will be broken for you. And in it, sickness will be defeated. Infirmity defeated. That you will be able to be whole because of what I will do. And remember this blood poured out for you to wipe away your sins, your past, your present, your future. Your sins wiped away. Paid for with a price. Nothing free in this. Not from Jesus' perspective. There was a price to be paid and that price was paid with His life and with His blood. We should see communion as a picture of what it calls us to. He was beckoning to us to do what he did. To be broken and poured out. To be broken and poured out. Not with the price he paid. The price is already paid. What were Jesus' last words? It is finished. It is completed. It is done. A hundred percent done. So when we're called to be broken and poured out, that's not of our body and blood, but remembering His body and blood. To be broken and poured out. To go all in. 
to hold nothing back, nothing in reserve, to completely surrender control. That's what would truly commemorate what Jesus did. Not cherishing a religious ritual. And folks, if we're not remembering what he did, that's all communion is. is a religious act. It's a ritual. But letting our lives be a memorial, proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done for us, broken and poured out. What state of brokenness are you at right now? And what is God's response to you in that state? Our God is the God of the broken. Our God is the God of the broken. You see, we don't got to clean ourselves up when we run to Him. We don't got to wait till we got it together. We run to Him broken. We run to Him broken. We don't wait till we're worthy of being in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We say, because of you, I am worthy to stand in your presence because you say I am. Because you washed away my past. Why does he want us broken? What should broken and poured out look like in your life? What should broken and poured out look like in my life? What does Jesus want it to look like? Psalm 51, 17 has an answer for us. It says, the sacrifice you desire, talking to God, the sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. The brokenness that he desires it's kind of like the brokenness of that wild stallion who goes, I won't pull my back to anybody. I won't back down to anybody. But that's exactly what he wants to say. Let go of the pride. Let go of the, the bowed back. And let me bring healing. You know, sometimes we hold on to our past because we think we deserve punishment. We think we gotta we gotta hold on to this because we deserve this. And I and we can't receive his grace because I have to be punished for this. No, you don't. Because that would make what Jesus did null and void. That would make what he did done in vain. Because he did it for you. And he did it for me. The price has been paid. No punishment needed. Romans chapter 10, 9 through 11 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 